Welcome to episode 44 of the Cyber Guy podcast. I'm your host, retired FBI Supervisory Special Agent Darren Mott. And in this episode, I talk about the cyber threats that target small and medium-sized businesses and hopefully how to counteract them if you happen to be one of those entities. And I'll do that with a friend of mine, Paul Perry, and we'll have that discussion in just a bit. But before I get to Paul, a couple, couple uh, single news item actually, and a couple anecdotes, uh, which is a little different than the way I usually hit this out, but I think this will be a little more interesting than just reading a news article. But first from the news article, this is uh, from recently this week from uh, the website is techrepublic.com, and the title is True Cybersecurity Means Centering Policies on Employee Behavior. This is from a Proofpoint, um, Proofpoint report called the state of the fish. Uh, I downloaded it, read it. It's very interesting. But a couple things from this, uh, from the article, which was written by, let me give proper credit to Brandon Vigilariolo. I apologize if I mispronounced his name there. But basically, uh, a study from cybersecurity company Proofpoint found that in 2020, it was a big year for cyber criminals who shifted their strategies to t- better target vulnerable remote workers, which makes sense because obviously the trend to go to work from home was was huge during the COVID time and continues to be huge today. Uh, but uh, reading more from the article, those trends, Proofpoint concludes, are here to stay, which means the human factor in cybersecurity is more important to focus on than ever before. Proofpoint analyzed billions of emails and combed through records from 2020 to find some startling statistics about the state of cyber attacks that target workers. Credential phishing accounted for two-thirds of malicious emails and attacks that tricked users into opening attachments were the most successful, enticing one in five people into owning them, 20%. Business email compromise attacks have become more complicated. Caps just screens are now being used to aid in the realism of malicious web pages. Those are the screens that you try to prove that you're not a robot and you have to enter, you have to like select... Um, images from a, a set of images or you have to put in a code or something like that but um so these are using steganography which hide malicious code in a file so when you click on the file it downloads the malicious code so bad guys are always like i've always said are always finding ways to compromise technology the good guys fall way behind and then law enforcement politicians who try to deal with this are way in the background so obviously the bad guys are always going to be ahead so i note this this article just to make the point that obviously end users are still the number one targets for the bad guys um i you know i I think i'll talk to with paul about a another article i read that showed that in ransomware 84 percent of the ways that bad guys are getting in and installing ransomware on networks is either through getting someone to click a link in an email or through credentials, credential accounts, meaning that they have legitimate usernames and passwords that still work on networks and they're getting in that way. So this goes back to things I've always talked about, things I continue to talk about, kind of my focus with this podcast as it seems to have been over the course of the last six months or so and some areas I'm moving into from a, just a personal side hustle business thing in, in how do you train your, how do you train your, your employees? How do you train people? How do you, as just a general individual, stay on top of all of the different cyber news and cyber threat and information, stuff like that. So uh, as I think I mentioned in the last podcast or two podcasts ago, I'm doing a beta test on a training program I'm putting together. It's called get cyber smart. If you want to be part of that, send me an email. I'll sit you in that. I found a way to distribute it, I think. So I'm working on putting the September 
training up on that. And so basically all I'm asking for anyone is to essentially give me feedback on what's good, bad, or ugly, how to fix it, how to correct it, because ultimately it'll be something that I'd like to dole out to other folks. So I figure if I do this for a year, the estimated value based on some of the um, what I charge for for online training with some companies I work with, uh, it's roughly a five thousand dollars worth of training over the course of the next twelve months that I'm giving for free. I've got a couple of people that have taken me up on that. I'm looking for ten to twenty businesses or individuals. Either way, I'm happy to go both ways. Um, ideally. If you're an individual, this is targeted more towards businesses per se, but certainly be interested to have other people take a look at it and see what they think. So send me an email, darren at thecyberguy.com or darren at cybersmart.com. I have both of those domains, cyber in both cases, spelled C-Y-B-U-R. So feel free to do that. That's my pitch for that for today. I won't talk about it again for the rest of the podcast. So um, another thing, two, two anecdotes I want to provide. One occurred to me. Another occurred to a friend, so I'll do with the friend one first. So I got an email on, on Facebook from a friend who said that her mother had been the target of a publisher's clearinghouse scam. And essentially how this works is you get an email or maybe even a phone call where they say, hey, congratulations, you won the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes, and we just need to get some information so we can get you your money. And uh, long story short, the mother ended up sending $19,000 to the scammer. Uh, and then they came back and asked for 20 additional thousand dollars. And that's how these scams work. They will continue to ask for money until you figure out you're being scammed. I had a lady who came to see me in Cleveland when I was a supervisor for a cyber squad in the Cleveland FBI. Uh, and by the time her neighbor actually brought her in, she had been scammed for $200,000. So these scams are effective. They target the elderly. The, uh, as I've said in previous podcasts, elder scams and targeting of the elderly is the number two financial loss. Uh, from cyber threats year in and year out. Number one is business email compromise. Number two is targeting the elderly. So we need to protect our our elderly folks, keep them trained up, take more interest in what your parents are doing online. You know, if your parents are, you know, getting up there in age, maybe ask them about helping them manage their financial assets. Maybe you don't need to take them over, but maybe you just need to be in, be able to take a look at what's going in and out so that they don't get scammed like the, this poor lady's mother. And the, and the poor lady thought that, you know, if she just, if her her daughter just found someone who was in law enforcement, FBI, what have you, maybe we could just go talk to these people and they'd give her back the money. And that's certainly not how that's going to work. These folks are always overseas. And uh, even if we did show up, they are pretty unlikely to return the money. Second antidote happened to me, and I've been trying to get one of these phone calls to, 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 to come to me when I'm at home so I can record it and you can kind of hear what, it, what it's like. But you can find a lot of these type of scam phone calls on YouTube. So if you're so inclined, just go put phone scam or scamming the scammers on YouTube, something like that. You'll find a bunch of people that do these videos um, and they're much better produced than I would have had anyway. So, but anyway, I got a call. Basically, it was a recording, recorded call, not even recorded. It was a computer talking a script that said that, my social security had been compromised and they were calling from the federal reserve system and my social security card was going to be disabled if I didn't talk and to a person and do whatever. So if you hit one, you get a live person. So hit one to get a live person. The guy said he was, he used an American name. He clearly was not American uh, based on his accent and said that my social security number had been used for with Colombians for drug dealing or something. It was an interesting scam, quite frankly, how they kind of approached it. But 
I ended up talking to this guy for about 20 minutes, trying to see how long I could get, how long I could spread him out and what the ultimate scam was. And I actually never got to the scam part, but so basically my, he goes this whole thing. He asked for my name. I gave him a fake name. I gave him an address where I grew up in upstate New York, which the name and the address would never match on any possible database that exists in the world. Yet, for some reason, this guy had that name and that address in his database. Shocking that that, that worked out that way. Uh, and, and so we went on this whole thing about I've never been involved in drug dealing. So please, how do I get out of this? I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get arrested. He, you know, he claimed someone was going to come arrest me. There's a warrant for my arrest, all that kind of stuff. So he asked for what's the phone number for your local police department because he was going to go talk to the police department and uh, get me off the hook. So I looked up um, a town near where I grew up, Potsdam, New York. I looked up their police department phone number, gave him the actual phone number, and then he kept me on hold. I'm using scare quotes uh, for hold because I was not on hold. I could hear his conversation, but he made it seem like he was talking to someone at the Potsdam Police Department. So he gets back online and says, some uh, some some officer at the Potsdam Police Department was going to call me to talk about this situation, and so I was to stay on hold with him and then take this phone call anyway. So, I mean, the name the name of the police officer I knew was not a real name of, of a real police officer at the Potsdam Police Department, but I was waiting to see. And that guy never we never got to that point where that that particular guy called because the guy had said that he was recording this, so we get all the information right. Like I said, we we're twenty minutes in. I had not yet heard the scam. So I asked him, I, I confirmed that he was recording because I said, because I'm recording, I wasn't recording, but I said I was recording too because I wanted to hear what the scam was so I could put on my podcast. He told me to do something to myself that was physically and anatomically impossible uh, and hung up. So that was the end of the call. But I say all this just to make the point that these are frequent scam calls. And this seems to be the current trend is with the Federal Reserve Board. Uh, and they're going to claim that your your social security number was used in illegal activity. And they're ultimately going to get to the point where you're going to have to pay somebody something. I never figured out what that was, but I'm sure, like I said, if you go to YouTube, you can find someone who went all the way through with this or at least cut it down to, to a digestible piece. But I, I make all this point with the other point that the bad guys are using these type of scams to target the elderly because the elderly are the one who are going to fall for this. Um, or, you know, the elderly or the folks that just don't stay on top of this stuff or think about this stuff like, you know, I do or you do who's, who's listening to this podcast. So, you know, educate who you can, make them know that, you know, they're not going to get a phone call from someone asking them money. So do not give money to anybody on the phone. But uh, those were some interesting anecdotes that happened this week that um, I thought I would share so that you can, you know, at, at worst, share them with your parents, share them with your elderly relatives, let them know that, you know, be careful. These things are happening. I mean, you know, most people think none of this is going to happen to me. I don't have anything anyone would want. I, I argue that everybody has something someone wants. You have money, information. They're going to try to scam it out of you. So keep that in mind. So let's talk small biz, small and medium-sized businesses, the cyber threats to them with Paul Perry. Well, it's my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast Paul Perry. He, Paul is a risk and control practice leader for Warren Averett in Birmingham, uh, Alabama. Paul, I appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk to me about how cyber is impacting small and medium-sized businesses and perhaps give some advice on, on what they should do. Happy to be here, Darren. I appreciate the opportunity. And like we were talking about before I started recording, probably the information we're going to give is not going to be a big surprise to anybody, but, but you know, I guess you have to say it over and over again. So, so. Well, you have to say it over and over. And you know what I like to say, Darren, is we still go to church on Sunday to hear love thy neighbor because we still don't get that right. God, right? that is and, an excellent point. Yes, absolutely. And so I think cybersecurity is just one of those conversations. It never dies. It never mm-hmm. ends. 
And if you've heard it, you're going to hear a variation of it and maybe you pick up something new this time. Right. And I think for small and medium businesses, it's even more important because they just can't, they don't have the resources or the finances or the personnel to be able to spend a lot of time dealing with this issue. And they're the most targeted group out there. I would, I would agree with that statement. And, and it's those resources that you have, you have to, you've got, what is our weakness? Our weakness is we don't have enough resources. Okay. Let's figure out how to respond to that in a, in a manner that, that is helpful to the company. Right. So I'm going to read some stats here um, just to give people a sense of what we're talking about from a small and medium sized business perspective. And I guess let me ask you that first. How do you define a small and medium business in your comp in your organization? You have, you mentioned before that, to me that you had 75% of your clients were small and medium business. How do you define that exactly? I mean, I would say it's less than, uh, less than a hundred million in, in revenue. And I'd say way less, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, not public companies, public companies to some degree have a lot of other requirements that they have to meet. Plus they have a lot of extra resources that others don't. So I would say less than a hundred million, uh, you know, less than a hundred people, you know, maybe less than 500 people just depends on the industry. Um, but it's those that just continue to run from the owners that started it, or, you know, you're one or two generations away from the first owners that to me is still a small medium sized business it's a it's a mindset of you know we're 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 we are a small fish in a big pond right so according to a website i have here smallbiztrends.com uh, they have some facts and some facts and statistics so how many small businesses in there are there in the united states according to this site there are 31.7 million small businesses now i don't exactly define that i take that back they do they they define it by companies that have that employ less than 500 employees and that mm-hmm. makes up close. right of, of all the businesses in the united states 99.9 percent of them are small and medium are small businesses so that's you know pretty much everybody wow. is a small business that's wow. it's going to be your convenience doors and i mean everything i mean I mean, unless you're working for Boeing, Lockheed, you know, one of the top five prime contractors or, you know, those, those large entities, Pepsi, you know, you are probably in a small business. And so why do small businesses need to worry about cyber threats? Because if you're a cyber actor, who are you targeting? Low hanging fruit. Or everybody. So you're 99. It's much better to target 99% of the entities mm-hmm. than 0.1% to say, we're only going to do, we're not going to touch. I, mean, I have not seen a ransomware group came out and said, you know what? We are going to protect the small and medium businesses. We're only going to go after those <laughs> considered large, which would be 0.1% of the uh, businesses funny. in the U.S. I like the so, way that's read. Yeah. So so how have you seen, so you, you've you been with Warren Everett since 2004, right? If I read your bio right. correctly. So, so how have you seen the cyber threat change to small and medium businesses over the course of the last um, you know, 16, 17 years? I, we probably look at it a little differently because I look at it more from a, reactive standpoint with companies calling us to say, Hey, we have a, we have a data breach. Can you help us kind of thing? So I've come in afterwards, but from a, you know, how did, how did you see small and medium businesses? Cause in 2004, most of them were probably just trying, starting to figure out, can we have an online presence? Can we afford an online presence? Can we afford a network to, to, to automate what we do? How is, how has that changed over the last decade and a half? And I would, I would say Darren that, um, you know, even, when we were auditing 17 years ago, it was still on paper, right? We, we still weren't to an electronic audit perspective. Uh, and so I think for, for small to medium-sized businesses, it grew basically, uh, it, it basically changed what I would say 100% because they weren't connected to the internet or they had one laptop that they used or they had one desktop that was being, 
employed by the organization. They didn't have a server farm. They didn't have um, a bunch of laptops, a bunch of tablets, smartphones. So they didn't have that aspect of their business. And I would say that that they all, you know, that one computer was locked into in in one office in one location that nobody else had a key to. And so the threat landscape was not very large at that point. Right. So it's it's I I ha- I can see the seven things that I have to protect. Right. I'm not on the Internet yet. Uh, and so I would say how it has changed is as they've grown into becoming an online presence, which I think, you know, to, to step back for a second, I think going online and being a part of the global economy is what makes everybody successful. But there's also the risk that comes with that. Right. And so uh, a lot of times when we talk to people, we say, uh, if you want to be 100 percent secure, just unplug everything from the Internet, because that's really the only the only way. And we've probably said that 100 times. So I would say that that there was a finite number of things that they were protecting 17 years ago. And, and they knew what those were. And it was easy. Right. I can count them. They're there today. They're there tomorrow. I know nothing has happened. Email was just kind of kicking off from a professional all the time perspective. Uh, you're getting away from the Gmails. You're getting away from the AOLs, the Hotmails. I mean, Gmail may not have even been around. Um, but so I think I think as they expanded their business and how they did it, that's when the the landscape started to grow. And I would argue that the landscape of threat grew faster than they could keep up with. I'd say also the, the speeds to be even be online were 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 cost prohibitive and freaking slow. Yeah, good I mean, point. I still remember the, you know, the 1024K bowed modem with the beeping and the beeping and the spinning. And if if you had it, if you were, you were plugged in and someone called your house, it would disconnect you because they were on the same line. So or you were trying to fax something. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> exactly. I think I think the avenues of of attack grew overnight or exponentially in a, in a number of years. And, and that's and, and they just they they weren't keep they didn't need to keep up with it then and then once they realized they needed to they've been catch they've been playing catch up ever since and i would say that's probably one of the tenets of the issues with small medium-sized businesses is they're always playing catch up right and i'd say even up to 10 years 10 years ago the bad guys weren't really looking at small medium because they didn't know what they would get from it and they were still focused 2011 still a lot of it was going to be the financial fraud and the credit card theft and so you target banks and retail institutions and you know, in 2003 or four, I believe we were investigating the Lowe's intrusion in mm. Charlotte, North Carolina. So it turned out that it was these guys, this is just a little background story on that particular intrusion. There was these, these guys in Michigan who had gone to um, a Michigan Lowe's in the middle of the winter. Uh, and there was wireless access points at the Lowe's that they had unsecured, which not a surprise. 2004 right. and everyone, you know, Wi-Fi was new. Security was limited at best. Uh, and they were able to launch into that Wi-Fi, get into their pay system, and download malware to another Lowe's store in Florida, which had credit card capturing software on it. Lowe's found that, and they they, did, they knew these guys were doing it. It's kind of an it's very. I need to actually get the um, one of the one of the case agents in Detroit who worked with us in Charlotte is still in the FBI. So she can't come on and do mm-hmm. the podcast because they won't let us, they won't let FBI people talk to me directly. But when she finally retires, cause we're the same age that hopefully she can come out. Cause it was, she was, I remember talking to her in the middle of the night cause she was drafting a search warrant cause they were surveilling the store and these guys showed up in a snowstorm at this Lowe's in wow. Michigan 
they had turned the Wi-Fi down to this one access point and a corner of the building because they knew they'd have to get close to it. And one of the guys doing surveillance had to go to the bathroom. So he's walking into the Lowe's and he looks over and he sees these guys in a car with a laptop on. And so that's how they identified them, not through the white, but just by walking through the parking lot, seeing the guy with, and then they followed him and found everything. And these, and you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff. That, and the, the lead guy ended up getting nine years in prison. So it was actually a good case from a, that perspective, but it just shows that, I mean, it was hard to get, if you wanted to hack someone, it was not easy in right. 10, 10, 15 years ago. Now it's ridiculously easy simply because of the threat as, of while you're, while you're walking in your neighborhood, you can, you can hack into somebody's wireless. If, it, Absolutely. if it's, unsecured and I, and I would bet 99% of those are probably unsecured. And I like the guy the people who put who say their their Wi-Fi their Wi-Fi SSID is, is FBI surveillance van 4. Like that's going to trick somebody <laughs> now that ooh, where's the, I don't see an FBI surveillance van. I just I, I love the one that says click here. Oh yeah, I'm going to do that. No, let me just, <laughs> right, let yep. me let me fall for that one right yeah, now. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, this is this is off the topic here, but this whole thing because I haven't talked about it on the podcast yet, but that, yeah, that made me think is that this whole Amazon neighborhood thing with if you're using sidewalk. Amazon to what's it called? Yeah, sidewalk. If you're oh, using Amazon sidewalk, if you're using an Amazon device, you're giving free Wi-Fi to people. That's that and is all, that's all I can figure is, and nothing against Amazon, obviously, but all I can figure is that they're trying to make wireless better within a household, and so if I've got you know if I'm using a router. I may have access points. Well, I may I may have an Alexa halfway between two access points that can reach to my backyard. So let me share it back there and let mm-hmm. me make if, if I want you to buy a widget on Amazon, I want you to do it wherever you are in your house. And so I don't want you to have down Internet. And I got to think that's the only reason. So, you know, that's what that's one of the first two slides in my presentations these days is I show them what it looks like and I show them how to get to it on their app and how to turn it off because mm-hmm. you just don't understand how the technology works and and it and it really will come back to bite you right yeah that's a great point that's a that's a whole that's a whole podcast for that's a whole another discussion on a different podcast down the line so so what are the so based on your experience what are the top cyber threats facing small businesses currently i mean i think obviously from from my perspective i've seen ransomware obviously is is a huge one and credential theft and password and, and business email compromise but what else are what else are you seeing you know um business email compromise is the is the one that i think um uh, is is hitting them the most, and and I'm sure you've talked about that a hundred times on these podcasts. I know because I've I've listened to them. Um, so I don't want to beat that horse, but I, I want to move more towards what are they doing internally, right? So so how are they handling their own IT environment, their own security posture? Uh, you know, we work with a lot of well, we work with a lot of businesses from an IT environment perspective. The number one deficiency we see is terminated employees that still have access to the system. So that that is not that that's a that's a hard bucket to put something in, but I would call that just access management, right? So the threat of doing access management incorrectly is one of your biggest threats as a small business because you probably have an IT, one IT guy, two IT guys, one of them does security half the time, right? So he's not focused on that all the time and so making sure that you know where those vulnerabilities are and and you are kind of curbing them to the best of your ability will take away that threat. But I think user access 
and how you manage that within your organization is one of the biggest threats. And unfortunately, that's a threat from the inside. And that's a right? great point, right? And that's actually, that's more a vulnerability than a threat per se. But still, I mean, it's, yeah, those, those words are really interchangeable for this conversation. Because if you're a small business, you don't care if it's a threat or a vulnerability. You just know it's going to screw you at some point. Right. And it makes a good, right. it, it makes two good points there that, that I've started thinking about because it's brought what brought to me on a presentation I did recently where I was talking about the lack or the the ineffectiveness of cybersecurity. Obviously, it's my hobby horse lately, but the one one guy made a good point because I was focused on in on the Solar Winds breach was because an intern had a bad password on their server and uh, you know two other examples where it wasn't so much end user problem it was IT. Uh, IT folks problem. So it's so we talk a lot about end user cybersecurity training, but what are the IT guys training? IT IT group, mm-hmm. what's their training look like? Like you're saying, right. if you got a small business though, and you got two guys, one guy's doing security half the time, the the other guy is dealing with outages. Why isn't my mouse working? I can't access my password. I locked myself out of my system because I forgot my password. All that kind of crap. How much time do they have to do their own training to see what are the current vulnerabilities? The NSA, DHS, FBI just released a huge, not a huge, it was actually like a two or three page document with the common vulnerable, common vulnerability, whatever, CVEs, I forget what that is, mm. common vulnerability and exploitatives, whatever. I, I mispronounced whatever that, but you can find CVEs. <laughs> but it had the, the, yeah, what they were from 2020 in the first quarter of 2021. For any IT person, that's something you should read closely and say we have, like it had to do with, um, VPNs, like if you had Fortinet VPN or you had, you know, there's vulnerabilities within there that if you're not patching them, you're going to get hacked. And right. so, um, you know, that's a great, that's a, you know, a great about the access control is that is a pro- business process issue. And if you're right. a small and medium business, are you have a lot of time to build policies for around cybersecurity? No, unless, unless someone gives it to you, you probably don't have <laughs> right. it. I mean, how many, and, and you're probably, and you're probably not updating those policies if somebody is giving you an <laughs> yeah, example. Exactly. Yeah. You had a compliance check and they said, where are your policies? And you said, well, can you give me a template? Yeah. Well, here's my policies now. Here's my template. Right, and right. then they come back in two years. Have you updated your policies? You have a template for the update? That'd be great. So how, so that's an interesting question. So how, for the companies you deal with and you go and do audits or compliance checks, do they all have policies? Do they, how many have policies? How many? Oh, notes? absolutely. I would say they don't have policies. And I would say that's, that is, uh, and a lot of them, and right, wrong, or indifferent, and I can't argue sometimes, it's I've got I've got a finite, I'm, I'm using the word finite a lot, but I've got a finite number of hours in the day. I've got to do all this other stuff. Sitting down and writing something on a piece of paper or typing it out is not what I want to spend my time doing. It, it's just words on a paper. It's not policy or it's not procedure and practice, right? And so, and so not a lot of people have policies. I would say, you know, two other kind of threats outside of what we've already discussed is vendor management, right? The vendors that you use, you talked a little bit about supply chain and I'm sure one of your, if you, if you, if somebody said, what is one of your soapboxes, you would say it's security awareness training, right? Mm -hmm. That mine is vendor management because I think we, we have a saying here that you can outsource the process, but you cannot outsource the responsibility of knowing who you're using and understanding what threats are coming your way from that perspective. How do you know, it's not one guy in his basement, right? How do you know that that the company hasn't done background checks and maybe somebody that works at that company has been convicted before of stealing information or stealing data? Like that that whole vendor management process is, is one of my biggest soapboxes. And I think it's one of the bigger threats that faces small to medium-sized businesses because what you said at the beginning is, 
they have a lack of resources, people and money. And so what do you do when you have a lack of human resources? You go out and you find a company to come in and help you do things. Well, you can do that. But if you're not monitoring them, if you're not having the conversation or see if you don't understand what they are saying, then it's not doing you any good. You 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 cannot out of sight, out of mind that process, right? You've got to understand. And I think in security, when you do when you do have somebody doing security half the time and doing printers and mouse and, and mice and keyboards the other half, they've got to have somebody to come in and help them because they can't what when you talked about that scenario, when did he have time to review the logs of activity? When did he have time to see the alert pop up that you you're you're getting a, a DDoS right now on your on your network? And if you can't monitor that, then that I think is one of your biggest threats. And so, but you've also got to know who you're using. You can't just blindly use folks. You've got to truly know what they have in place and, and how they are good at what they are doing. And that's a great point because the, then the best example of that is the target breach. Target, right. target was not breached because of anything anyone at Target did other than the guy who hired the AC company who came in and attached their laptop to their network. That Then the bad guys had gone to the AC company first, compromised them, and that's how they got through. So it's if, if, if Target can't figure that out, I mean, hopefully they can now. Right. I mean, how is a you know 20-person company that has to have that online presence, has to have that network infrastructure to stay competitive, you know, how, to, how, how, how can they, how can they do it? And, and, and that, and I, you're right. And then, I mean, that's when you, so you, you have the issue with vendor management, you got to find the vendors and those third party supply chains to help you with these problems. Right. So if a part of it, I guess, comes down to due diligence and finding people that have found stuff that works. And I think a lot of the managed service providers rely on that word of mouth that, Hey, I use this guy and he's mm-hmm. really good. You should go use that. Yeah. I, I mean, I would, I would agree with that. And, and the target breach always brings me back to, you know, when folks go, well, that's, that's the third party. If something happens, it's their fault. <laughs> Nobody knows the name of the HVAC company. Right. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. right. And, and when, when somebody robs a bank, you you usually have a face that may be covered up, but you have a person to associate it with. Right. Target customers have nothing other than Target. So Target's the one that's blamed. So if you're a small to medium-sized business and you um, you get your third party gets hacked and you are now in the one in the news, you're the one that has the reputational risk and you may already be running on thin ice, right? From right. a reputational perspective, mm-hmm. people may not know who you are. And if you now allowed a breach to occur because you didn't do your due diligence or you didn't follow up on your responsibility, shame on you to some degree. Right. Yeah. If they didn't know you beforehand and that's what they know you for now. The difference between famous and infamous, right? Right. Exactly. Right. So my next question is self-serving. I'll be honest that I threw that. This this is a self-serving question I'm throwing at you, but where do you come down on the importance of cybersecurity awareness training and technology? And how do you, how do you blend those two things to make them work together? Or can you, if you're a small and medium business? Right. So I think, um, you, you have to understand, and, and we've said this probably before in, in conversation, and I know I've said it several times, um, cybersecurity is a people problem. It has nothing to do with technology. It has nothing to, you know, the technology may not work right, but it's not the technology's fault. It's the person who's using it. And I think that when you understand that aspect of the cybersecurity realm that we play in, the only thing that can combat that, the only control you can put into place is constant education. It's education. It's, you know, what was the old, you know, how do retail stores survive? It's location, location, location. How do you get better at this? It's the constant education, 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 and you can't get numb to it, Mm -hmm. right? 
And so I, I fall on that. It has to happen all the time. It can't be a one-time thing. Um, it has to be an ongoing process and it has to, it has to evolve from going somewhere, either webinar based or in person when we can do that again and listening to Darren Mott talk about the cyber threats and what you need to do. That's great. But in a year, you're not going to remember that. And so it, it has to evolve from that kind of training and education to self-education. You have to want to understand the technology. You have to want to understand the threats that are happening to society and to business and then understand what could have solved it. I mean, how many times do you read an article, Darren, and, and you go, okay, I'm going to see multi-factor authentication before I see a, a something else, right? Mm -hmm. or, or, or you know what's going to happen because you've educated yourself enough. And I think when society as a whole gets to the point of it's no longer cybersecurity awareness education. It's cybersecurity awareness culture that we have created that we all take 10, 15, 20 seconds. Take a little time to do something. Take a little time to do multi-factor authentication. Take a time to read an article and understand what happens so that maybe it doesn't happen to you or it doesn't happen to somebody else. And so it definitely has to become cybersecurity awareness discussions, not just training. It has to be a constant thing. And, and it, it, it can never stop happening and you can never hear it enough. I, I think this is probably one of the only things in life I'll say overkill is probably a good thing. Yep. People need to get cyber smart. Cyber smart. <laughs> You're hear I like that many it. times. That's going to be, that's going to be a very common <laughs> term on this podcast for the next foreseeable future. But um, so it, and uh, three stats that I saw interesting this week that were just, uh, they weren't stunning. Nothing is stunning anymore. I no longer have a shocked face when it comes to cybersecurity. But the first one, was and we talked about this before we recorded, but there was a there was a report that talked about the ransomware recent ransom most within the past year for all the ransomware attacks the two ways the two major ways bad guys got into the system were forty two percent were someone clicked a link in an email and the other forty two percent were credential harvesting so they brute force attack credentials onto vulnerable systems to get in and get access to the network so that means bad passwords so that's 84 percent of the ransomware breaches occurred because of the one of those two things i'm pretty sure any cybersecurity awareness training anyone has ever had in their life within the first 10 minutes they talked about don't click on links on emails and have good passwords well clearly that's not that is not hitting because again like you said we don't have that awareness culture that frequently thinking about the things and i think for most people it's going to be well it's not going to happen to me i don't have anything anybody would want I, that is the most common refrain i almost always heard when we would go talk to someone who became a victim um in victims you've dealt with did they think they would become victims absolutely not yeah. and i think that that is um you mentioned the it's not going to happen to me i'm a bit i'm a small fish nobody wants what i have uh, one of my colleagues um, and I were talking just the other day about dark side. And I, and I realized Colonial Pipeline is probably not a small to medium sized business, but I think it's important to go dive into what dark side said back to everybody. Right. Once, once everything started coming out, dark side actually had a rebuttal and they said, look, we didn't know who we were attacking. Right. Okay. That right there is my, my, debate against anybody that says i'm i have nothing anybody wants they don't know who they are attacking they see a vulnerability they say an opportunity and they take it and they couldn't care less who it is right and so i think that mentality has to get into the mind of small to medium-sized business owners and there has to be true governance buy-in i think one of the detractors is 
you know, we're going to spend a little bit of money. You know, that's that's too expensive to, to do. Well, you know what? Good IT, good security is expensive. Bad IT is even more expensive. That's and I think true. that's a mentality that if we can change that, you have what what people want. It's just information. It's data. It may be people. They may go after the person. Hey, you know, Susie in the accounting department may have a gambling debt that they know about. And they say, you know what, Susie, here's $100,000. Give us your data. Hopefully Susie is in the right mind that she doesn't take it. But how do, but that insider threat exists. And so you may not have anything they want, but they're just going after anything they can get. And I would say from an insider's threat perspective, that gets a lot that doesn't not get as much press or or discussion as it as it needs to have simply because it's really at the end of the day that is your number one threat regards of everything else insider threat because it, there's two types of insiders i have i have a presentation i did on this where i had to explain that you have several types of insiders you have the willing insider and the unwilling insider when you click the link that causes your problems even though you didn't mean to you're still an insider so those insiders mm, are still agreed. Good. And I mentioned I had three three stats. The third stat I forgot to mention Sorry. was that no, 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 it was my fault because I, I went off on a tangent. But um, the third stat was from Proofpoint's State of the Fish um, report that they released. I was reading that yesterday. And so in the United States, fifty fifty three percent of the organization surveyed said that the only cybersecurity awareness training they have is fishing te- fish testing. Meaning that of half the half the respondents, the only thing they got from a cybersecurity perspective was if they clicked a link that was a phishing test, they then got training on how not to click the link and they weren't supposed to. It's probably likely from no before or one of those one of those other companies. So Right. Yeah. So it's and <laughs> that's that's a crazy stat. And I think it it how and I wonder how many of those actually were caught by the spam filter and they never truly made it to Right. The employees. So they never truly got training that that can you cannot just one side things. You've got to have that conversation. You've got to have that discussion and videos. I mean, I get it. We're, sometimes there's a press for time and you've got to get those videos out because you've got to check the compliance box. But mm-hmm. let's step back from that compliance box and let's go. Let's just do security better. Let's just have this conversation. Let's listen to this person talk about it over and over and over again until we are blue in the face and then they'll say it again and then we'll still click the link. Right. So Mm -hmm. we're we're not solving it. So that's where the culture comes in. I think. Especially if all you're doing is if you click the link and it sends you to a video or a test you have to take. And that's the extent of the, of the um, punishment, I guess, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. Right. What is the, what's the deterrent there? I, you know, I get killed 20 minutes of my day. I'm 20 minutes closer to, to going home. Yeppy for me. When I get the next right. one, I'll do another. Tw- if there's no, you know, again, it goes back to policy too. What is your policy for someone clicking? I did a presentation once where I said, has anyone ever had an instance where you have 100% compliance with not clicking on spearfish tests? And one company said we do because our owner said, if we click a link and it causes a data breach, we will be fired. Now that's the other extreme, but still, if that's the what you got to do, I, and and that's the, on the other extreme of that is the company that said, well, we only had forty, we only had eight percent failure, except for the one person that clicked the link forty-two straight times. Why is this not working? So I mean, yeah. you know, one of the what was the deficiency I told you about was terminated employees that still have access. Yep, I was working with an organization one time, and they were quite large. They had probably over a thousand terminations in a year, oh. and we do we did a a hundred percent test. We looked at all of them. I I took the termination list and I compared it to um, the current user listing. And um, I came up with 23 people that still had access to the system. You know, the CIO argued with me. 
He said, but you can put in your report that we did it right 99.5% of the time. And I go, (laughs) but it takes the wrong one. Like, why is that what we're, we're focused on how we did it well, not all the time when you need to really be focused on the threat and the risk that's there, which is the one that could still happen. It's the wrong one. Yeah. And I'll throw another stat at you that I saw last week. I think that there was a, uh, someone, it was a news article where they surveyed a bunch of like a thousand employees, 41% of them said they still had access to an account from a company they had, they had quit from a year before. Wow. So it's, yeah, it's, was I, it, a, well, I'm curious if it was an account within the system in the company, because I think what sometimes gets missed is all those website accounts that people had access for work. Yeah, it could be. I, yeah, it's a good question. I, that's a good, yeah, and, and, I, and I would argue that that piece gets missed a lot as well. Yeah. And then in look at your downstream vendors, let's go to, I mean, you know, so you, maybe you have good access control, but the company that provides you with, let's say you're using, what's the HR Bambi. I I hear that Mm. on every podcast Mm. that has advertisement, you know, BA to the whatever for your HR stuff. Okay. What's their, what's their security like? Let's say they get hacked and you are giving them all of your personnel data to do your HR. You know, if if, if it comes back, who are you blaming? Because it's still, still going to screw you over. You uh, you like stats. There was one that we used to use in our presentations years ago from Inc.com. There was a, a discussion about um, the the financial impact of of breaches, which we talk about to some degree, but we don't truly mm-hmm. dive into it a lot. But the CPA side of me always wants to jump into the financial aspect or the impact. And and the stat was that sixty percent of small to medium sized businesses. Uh, that get hacked are out of business within six months, Mm. six months. Right. And so think about all the financial impacts that are, that are, that are going to happen when you have a breach, you've got the direct costs, but you got a a hundred indirect costs that are going to happen. And they're going to not happen in the first day. They may happen in the first year. They may have further than six months. Reputational risk and revenue is, is by far, I think one of the things that small to medium sized businesses need to think about when they think about cybersecurity, which is a whole different concept of IT and security as an expense to IT and security is a revenue protector for me. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep, sure. So to me, I think it's you you've got to you've got to have that mindset. So I, I was going to ask you about the threat landscape over the next three to five years, but I think the problem is the problem is now, not three to five years from now. So I don't think we can guess what the problem. <laughs> there's going to be bad problems. It's going to it's going right. to cause problems. People need to deal with it. So for right, so so you're for the small business owners that are out there listening. Hopefully they're they're listening, taking notes, and thinking about this. What's your one or two takeaways that they need to do now? to really, at the end of the day, you want to lower your risk and not become a victim. That's really should be your goal as a small business owner from a cyber perspective. How do I reduce, what's the best way to reduce my risk so that I don't have to call the FBI or my CPA firm and say, I've got a problem. Right. Can, do you have someone who can do instant response? Yeah. And, and that if somebody on there is going, why would I call my CPA firm, if I, <laughs> you know, to, to do instant response. But, you know, from a, from an advisory perspective, it's, you know, we, we deal with this all day long and we know what those threats are. And so anybody in this space can kind of communicate that mm-hmm. and, and kind of help you navigate what is next. So, so what are the things they need to be thinking about? You know, I talked about revenue a moment ago, and I think it's interesting that um, if you are a small to medium sized business, look at where you're, revenue is coming from, from us, you know, I'm a supplier for somebody, right? Because guess what? If they get hacked and they go out of business and 50% of your revenue comes from them, 
Now you have a you have a potential issue when that comes to it. And guess what? They may not stop with them. They may follow all of their vendors and they may come to you. So you don't have to just worry about your breaches and, and your threats. You got to worry about the threats that are coming to everybody you're working with because they don't always stop with one company. They go to the third party. They go to the fourth party. They go to the fifth party. And I think that that knowing your knowing where you are in your supply chain, whatever that supply chain is, you, we use the word supply chain a lot. And some people think manufacturing distribution, but it's the supply chain of doing business in in in, in some perspective. And so I think the, the threat landscape can't just be, it goes back to vendor management and supply chain management. It can't just be focusing on my threats. It's I've got to make sure that I'm working with people and I've got safeguards in place that if something happens to them, I can cut ties quickly and maybe I won't get breached, right? So if I'm connected to somebody through an API, I need to understand how that works so that when I hear that they've been breached, I can cut that API off and hopefully they're not in my system already, right? So that's that I would say is, is one thing that they need to focus on. The other is just not taking education um, lightly. And, and I say that because... Um, Edu- I won't use your your term, but um, I, I know it's yours. It's knowledge is protection, but education <laughs> creates the knowledge, right? So education gives us the knowledge to hopefully protect ourselves. And so the more the the, the more that we can truly do education right and and do it sincerely as an organization, I think we will continue to press upon our people. They'll see that we're in that governance has bought into this within my organization. And, and if they're, if it's important to them, it's going to be important to me. Right. And so I think it's just edu- constant, consistent education, a nice habit of education has to be part of that. Otherwise you're never going to combat that people problem thing we talked about. Does that make sense? Yeah. Great points. And actually I said that was gonna be the last question, but something I thought of a, a last one that, that might be good for small me and my business who might be thinking about it. Where do you come down on cyber security insurance? Is that, is that a good purchase? Is, I mean, depend, does it depend on the size of your company or should everybody have it? I mean, I would say everybody should have it, but having it isn't protection in itself, right? right? So far too often we work or we talk to companies that get a cyber liability insurance, have a breach, they go back and, and the insurance company won't pay. And the reason they won't pay is because there was a laundry list of security controls you should have had in place to make sure that that policy was valid, right? You've got to have skin in the game. That means you've got to be doing these things. Either during your underwriting process, you're asked a bunch of IT questions. Don't lie on those. Be, be real about them. Be, be honest about them, right? Have somebody come in and look to see if they agree that you're doing it. Have somebody come do that assessment. Or inside the policy, it says you've got to do these things. And I can tell you what two of them are going to be. Security awareness training, multi-factor authentication. It would not surprise me if annual validation of those two things starts creeping its way into insurance policies. And I just got off the phone over the last couple of days with a couple of clients and all of their cyber policies have gone up 30 and 40 percent. Can't blame that on the on the digital on the uh, the supply chain. That's for sure. I mean, right. I mean, that, that to me is up, that's mind boggling. Yeah. And and know what it protects. I mean, I think anytime you get an insurance policy, you got to understand all aspects of it. The problem is nobody truly, outside of several experts out there, nobody truly understands all that happens or potentially could happen with cyber. And so if you if I mean I, I saw insurance policy one time that said uh, we will guard against everything but ransomware. 
well, then why am I paying for this? Right. Because yeah. that's going to be the one thing that's probably going to be the biggest thing that comes, the biggest expense that comes to me that I need help with. But you're not covering that. And if you don't know about that, that's a scary day. Well, you know what? And that goes back to awareness training. If you don't know what ransomware is, and then they say, we're not going to cover ransomware, you're like, okay. That's fine. <laughs> How hey, hard does, that that lower my, does that lower my premium? I've got backups. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, thanks again. I appreciate you the time as always. Um, Darren, it's always fun. All right. We'll talk soon. That is going to do it for episode 44 of the Cyber Guy podcast. I appreciate Paul Perry coming on to have a good discussion on how to protect your small and medium-sized businesses. And, you know, there's some stuff in there and how to protect yourself as well. Uh, As you go through your week, make sure you understand the threats that are targeting you. Assess your risk. Proceed wisely. Know that knowledge is protection. And I really appreciate those of you who take the time to listen to this podcast, to tell others to listen. Uh, If you have any ideas for topics for future podcasts, send me an email, darren at thecyberguy.com. The email is in the information parts of the podcast. If you're interested in the Cyber Smart program, you can hit me up there as well. I'll be starting a new podcast in September strictly around the Cyber Smart program. So it'll be 10 and 15 minutes worth of educational stuff only, and it'll be progressive. So what you learn one week, you can use the next week and so on and so forth. Be safe as you go through your week. Look out for the scams that are targeting you, your family, and the elderly and protect your information. Have a good week.